Hello and welcome to the first episode of Risk Talks. Um, it's, my name is Edward James and I'm the founding director of RCQ Associates, the risk, credit and quantitative recruitment specialists. Today, this week, I'm joined by Ruth Dolday. Ruth is ex-FCA, the ex-chief risk officer of Monzo Bank and the chief risk officer of Aspinall's Financial Services. Hello and welcome, Ruth. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. So um, today we're going to be talking about uh, diversity of, of opinions within risk and the importance of it. So um, Ruth will be talking about um, her findings and experience. And um, from an opening perspective, I'm just quite interested in talking to you, Ruth, about, um, from a risk perspective at least, why do you feel it's important for individuals to have come from different backgrounds so as to make the best risk decisions? Great topic. So, I mean, there's several angles to this. I mean, there's the general sort of decision making. How do you make the best decisions? And then there's the risk management side to it. So just in terms of taking decisions and running a business, I mean, there's plenty of research out there now that says that firms that have a diverse management team and board um, do better. They, they're more profitable. So there's some hard, hard data out there that, that shows that diversity is a good thing. Um, but coming to risk management specifically, I mean, um, risk management is all about seeking diverse views. So if you've got, and the example I would use here is if you are selecting stress scenarios, you usually do that by having a workshop, you have a number of people in the room, and you ask them, what, what, are the, what are the scenarios that could hurt our firm? And if all of those people come from a similar background, have similar views, you're not going to get as much value out of that meeting as if there's a range of different views. So that would be my sort of starting point. <laughs> Definitely. I think, um, yeah, I think all too often we see people from similar backgrounds and uh, I think there's definitely a drive for, um, I guess, intellectual diversity, diversity of backgrounds, and that could be anything from academic backgrounds to institutional backgrounds. Um, and I guess just to sort of overall mindsets, actually, it's, um, it's quite interesting. So, yeah, I mean, you, you must have been in a large number of meetings where it's, um, you know, you're sort of screaming out for some sort of different opinions and different voices to be heard. And, and maybe it's the same voices that are being heard. And that, that leads, leads us on to, it's not just diversity, it's inclusion too. So you can have a diverse group of people, but do they feel empowered to speak out? So when somebody, somebody comes up with a slightly unusual view, so back to the stress scenarios, they come up with something that sounds a little bit unusual. How, how is that received? Um, do people just say, oh no, that will never happen? Um, or, or does that does that develop, take the conversation somewhere further? So it's not just about diversity, it's about inclusion and making, so cre creating an environment where everyone can speak out and, and, um, and add value to the conversation. It ha has to be healthy for risk management. And then sort of the, the other situations are um, risk management, you know, it's not just about those theoretical exercises where you sit and talk about stress scenarios that may never happen. It's also how do you respond when do, things do go wrong? So thing, things will go wrong. That's what happens. And um, how quickly can people speak out? Do they, is there the psychological safety to, to speak up and say this has gone wrong? And that, that, that's all about creating a healthy culture. So I see 
equity and inclusion as part of as part of the broader risk culture of the firm as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm sure we've all been in meetings where people have sort of probably actually had really good opinions but struggled to speak up. Um, is there anything that you've seen um, just in terms of people doing particularly good um, good things in terms of being able to include um, people? I guess it's maybe sort of some people's natural management style to try and include, um, include others. Um, but yeah, is there anything that you've seen in particular that's sort of use, good for fostering an inclusive environment? Well, also there being a sort of no blame culture, if you like. So when something has gone wrong and you have a meeting after, once the dust has settled, so a few weeks later, you, you get round a room and you, and you analyse what went wrong, what can we do differently? How, how, can, how can we improve controls the next time to make sure this doesn't happen again? And having that very open conversation where there's no sort of finger pointing who was to blame. I mean, within certain boundaries now, you know, there are some there are some lines which, if crossed, you know, need to be dealt with. You can't, uh, there are lines, but also, but having that sort of environment where it is better to speak up has, has to be positive. And I've seen, I've seen that work well. Definitely. Um, and also in terms of, I, I guess here, I think we're talking about diversity in terms of mindset and opinions, but as you know, diversity can take many forms. So that's whether it's gender, ethnicity, um, sexual orientation, and, and the list goes on and on. Um, so, um, I mean, have you sort of seen things um, through your career improve from that standpoint? Because certainly for my 15 years, I've definitely seen graduate schemes um, uh, improve in terms of their graduate intake. There's still a significant drop off at management level um, across all um, underrepresented backgrounds. Um, but yeah, have you sort of seen anything, any sort of comments or, or, or notes from, from your sort of, um, from, from what you've seen? So I definitely agree with you on graduate recruitment schemes where you see a very diverse intake. But there's, you know, ha- what, what happens, what happens at the mid-career point that, that, that stops people from progressing? And there's no one answer to this. I mean, one of the schemes I was involved in was the 30% club firm mentoring scheme now the 30% club it by its name it started off wanting to have 30% of executive and board members as female so it's only talking about gender diversity but they then started to realize the point where women drop out of the out of the system or, or plateau tends to be a lot earlier it's before they get to the executive level so they now do this scheme where there's where you mentor people um, from other organisations. I mean, to be, to be a mentor, you need to be completely neutral. So it's a nice scheme where you're not in the same organisation. And that, that's been very effective, but it's one of many tools. It's a complicated problem and there's no silver bullet. There's lots of different things that can help and there's lots of schemes in place. Um, it would be nice to see similar schemes for other, for other forms of diversity. I mean, gender's just one of them. And... And yeah, so we need more of these schemes, but um, I, I don't, I, there is no single answer to this complex problem. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really complicated. And uh, both you and I have been to one particular risk conference where it's um, uh, 
yeah, it, it, it's not the most sort of diverse of, of, of people with backgrounds. And, um, and, and that's pr probably still fair, fairly in terms of representative of the risk, um, risk community as a whole um, of where senior management are coming through. And I'm hoping the fact that with all the work with the graduate schemes, and also, I guess we haven't really touched on it, but there's some really good work which some large blue chip financial services firms are doing with female return to work schemes, trying to address it for mid-career level for people to come back. Um, and I think most firms have, have got some sort of schemes in place where they're trying to recruit or re-recruit or, or, or find the right sort of hires to, um, to come in with different opinions, basically, because, yes, we've seen people with similar academic um, backgrounds, similar institutions. I think it's really important to do that. So, yes, from, from, from my standpoint, it's still, we're still seeing a change, um, but, but more work needs to be done. So I think I shared with you before, Ruth, some, some statistics, and it's, you know, within the risk community, it's you know, around about 30% female, um, ethnicity, it's, um, it, it depends on sort of how you look at it, but there are certain backgrounds that are underrepresented. Um, and also, if we talk back on a, a gender perspective, the more quantitative the role goes, um, away from, more towards quantitative risk or risk modelling, the, the, the larger the gap gets, um, where you know, you, you've got these sort of PhD risk modellers where the, the, the sort of gender gap is, um, you know, it's, it's almost sort of towards a 90-10 gap, which, which is probably representative of people's studies when they're at university and, and their choice they've made before that. So maybe as an industry, people can look at doing more talks at schools um, in terms of just encouraging individuals to look at, at those things and at those backgrounds. And I know a lot of the financial services firms are doing work with local schools in the London area, but actually in the shadows of Canary Wharf, so to speak, um, that's great, but actually it's, it's the schools that are not necessarily there and people who haven't thought of those careers. And I think that's, that's an important, important thing as well. And hopefully we'll see some people coming through from there. I mean, there is, there is an important point about role modeling as well, isn't there? So, so I actually did a degree in engineering and I remember, I mean, with A-levels this year, I remember going around to look at different universities and I did end up going to the university that had the highest number of women on a civil engineering course. I remember going to, going to the interview in, in a London college and I was the only one there and nobody spoke to me, so I didn't want to go. So, um, so yeah, there, there's all those stories and I think that kind of thing is changing slowly over time. Definitely. The, the other change that I've seen, which is a positive one, is, is um, some of the training you can now have on unconscious bias. So when you're, when you're interviewing people, um, being aware, and I think inherently we are all biased. So almost um, admitting that to yourself, understanding what your own biases are, and then, and then acknowledging those and, and, and guarding against them, if you like. So we all, in interviews, have a tendency to... to if somebody's a little bit like you, you might you might sort of slightly warm to them a bit more than someone who's quite different. And so it's just really recognizing that, being really conscious of it and bearing it in mind when, when you're going through recruitment. I think that's a more healthy way of looking at it than just saying, I'm not biased. So yeah, exactly. I think it's um 
it, 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 I, I guess self-awareness is a really important skill and trait. And you'd like to hope people are aware of it. But yeah, I think it's the fact, the fact that we're talking about these sort of things is, is good. I think there are definitely less conversations about this topic um, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. And it's good that we're able to have these conversations. It's good. It's important to be talking about it. Um, so we're looking at what we can do for the future because this isn't something, as we've discussed, that's, that's going to change um, you know, today, tomorrow. But the fact that we're thinking about it and aware of it and looking at what we can do, I think that's, that's, that's just really important. Um, and also, actually, Ruth, is there anything in terms of, I know you do a lot of work on the stress testing side of things. So is, is there anything particular you've seen from the stress testing side that, um, from a diversity that, that you, you found interesting? Oh, uh, so, um, I mean, it's, it's back to what I mentioned earlier about having it. And it's, it's not just that you can spend a lot of time talking about what the scenario is and it's, yeah. it, you know, describing this story of what happens in the stress, but it's also how do you translate that into how it impacts your balance sheet? And I think potentially we spend a, a bit too much time thinking about the story and a little bit, uh, you know, we spend more time on, on, well, it almost doesn't matter what stress is, what, what's the impact of changing this part of your balance sheet, increase, increasing losses, um, you know, maybe focusing as much on that point and, and just challenging that as well. So what's in the model? Um, how does the model translate that scenario into the numbers and, and all of the assumptions? So, so just getting more and more cha challenge is always a good thing in risk management. Definitely. And I wonder, and I mean, and find the, the other thing on um, diversity, I think recruiters have a part to play, Ed. So it'd be good <laughs> to hear from you. I mean, I, I, often, I mean, on LinkedIn, you know, you often get, approached by recruiters and I'll often go back and, and say you know how are you doing on diversity how, how are you doing on part-time roles and and things like this and and sometimes they go away when I ask those questions so Ed what are you doing on diversity <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think first of all it's um we, we've addressed it as a clear issue and just trying to see sort of what we can do to to address it so I think first of all um you've got some barriers and limitations. So the barriers and limitations are the people who are out there. So if a manager asks me if I want someone with certain experience, you have a certain number of people who have got that sort of background. I think the important role as a recruiter, or, or at least I see my role as a recruiter, is to push back and encourage thought. So, okay, the last person had X, Y, and Z level of experience. Do you definitely need that? Why do you need that? Can we look at some potentially other other people and try and, um, I, I'll generally try and have one curveball option. So it could be similar to the sort of the Rooney rule in America, American football, but just generally someone who's still got definitely the right experience and background, but might not be someone who they've immediately thought about, um, you know, who's, who's ultimately, you know, not someone who's doing exactly the same role at exactly the same uh, com company or competitor, but has still got some points to add. I think also as my role, it's important. Um, so we've done, for example, on the female side of things, we've done um, uh, return to work schemes, so pro bono work to help 
mothers return to the workplace and just generally trying to um, give interview advice, confidence and, you know, help with CVs for, for you know, mothers returning to the workplace and generally just trying to do what we can to, um, to help. Um, yeah, and, and generally I think the key thing for me I see is being open, trying to help and providing managers really with some, at least one slightly alternative option that they can ultimately make the call on in terms of saying, yes, we would like that or, or no, we might not like that. Great. So work in progress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, f- I feel we might be talking about this in 10 years time still, but um, uh, yeah, try, try to do what we can. Um, so look, thanks. I think that, that reps, um, wraps things up now. So again, thank you so much for your time, Ruth. Uh, I hope the audience have found your insights and opinions really valuable. Um, I'll include a link to uh, Ruth's LinkedIn profile um, on the post. And um, please do like, share, comment, and also feel free to follow me on LinkedIn for the next episode of Risk Talks. Thanks again, Ruth. Thank, thanks, Ed. It's been, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And I'll be interested to see people's comments. If anyone else has got suggestions on what more can be done, then comment on LinkedIn. We're glad to appreciate that. Again, it's been my pleasure, Ruth. Thank you so much. Thank you.